The book of Ephesians is about the church and how the church is to be operating. And, but before we're going to start it this morning, I want to kind of do an introductory message to the book of Ephesians. So I've entitled the message this morning, The Greatest Company, The Greatest Organization in the World. Father, I just thank you for each person here. I believe that you brought each person here, and I, I think that certainly there is no more necessary message for this hour than this one this morning. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move even in a more powerful way than you are. You are welcome here. I ask that you would energize this place, that you would electrify this place, that Jesus would be exalted. And no one, no one will be able to walk out of here the same as when they walked in, that they will truly be different. And so I just ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And that the words that I speak truly would be your words. Now may you be glorified in the next several minutes. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. There was this pastor and he was on an airplane. And he was kind of dressed kind of like I am right now. We'll call it clergy casual. And he was seated next to Mr. MBA. You know what I'm talking about. The guy was wearing a pinstripe suit, and, you know, he had uh, well-gelled hair. looked like he was out of GQ magazine. He had his laptop computer. He had a smartphone, and, of course, he was reading the Wall Street Journal. And this pastor decided, you know, maybe his best course of action would be to kind of ignore Mr. MBA. But, you see, God had different plans for him on that airplane ride. And Mr. MBA suddenly turned to him, and he kind of gave him a slick greeting and then Mr. MBA began to talk about his favorite subject, himself. And uh, he began to talk about what kind of business he was in. He said, I am in the figure salon business. And he was really excited about this. He said, what we're into is changing a woman's self-concept through changing her body. And I mean, like I said, he was really pumped. He really believed in the significance and the power of what he was doing. Then came the dreaded moment for every pastor. Mr. MBA looked at the pastor up and down, and he said, what is it that you do? What organization do you work for? But you see, the Spirit of God was with the pastor that day. And the pastor said this. He said, it's interesting that we have similar business interests. You are in the body-changing business, and I am in the personality-changing business. We apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. <laughs> now, Mr. MBA was clearly impressed with this. And, you know, he said, you know, I think I've heard that. Of course, he didn't want to sound stupid. But then he said, but do you have an office here in Dallas? That's the city they flew out of. And the pastor said, ah, oh, oh, we have many offices. We have offices up and down the state. In fact, we're national. We have at least one office in every state of the union, including Alaska and Hawaii. Now, Mr. MBA was clearly puzzled at this because he was searching his brain trying to figure out what large company was this. Surely he must have read about it in the Wall Street Journal. Then the pastor said, as a matter of fact, we've gone international and management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of the business era. Then the pastor said, do you have that in your business? Not well, well, not yet, said Mr. MBA. But you mentioned management. How do they make it work? Oh, the pastor said, it's a family-run business. 
There's a father and a son, and they run everything. Man, the, Mr. MBA said, that must take an awful lot of capital. Yes, I suppose it does, the pastor said. No one knows exactly how much it takes, but we never worry that there's not enough. The boss always seems to have enough. In fact, those of us in the organization have a saying about our boss. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, said Mr. MBA, so he's into ranching also. No, no, the pastor said. It's just a saying that we have to indicate his incredible wealth. Well, Mr. MBA sat back into his chair and got a little more comfortable. And he said, well, what about the employees of your company? And the pastor said, oh, now there's something to see. They have an incredible spirit about them. It works like this. The father and the son love each other so much that they have their love just filters down through the organization so that we all find ourselves loving one another too. Now, I know he said this sounds old-fashioned in a world like ours, but I have people in the organization who are actually willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? Well, <laughs> not yet, said Mr. MBA. Quickly, he changed strategies, and he said, Well, what about the benefits? Do you have good benefits? Oh, the pastor said, they're substantial. I have complete life insurance, fire insurance. I got all the basics. You might not believe this, but it's true. I actually have holdings in a mansion that is being built for me right now for my retirement. Do you have that in your business, Mr. MBA? Oh, no, not, not, not yet. And then Mr. MBA said, you know, one thing really bothers me. I read journals, and if your business is all that you say it is, why haven't I heard about it before now? That's a good question, the pastor said. After all, we have a 2,000-year-old tradition. You want to sign up? Now, who would not want to sign up for an organization like this? And I want you to know this morning, when the church of Jesus Christ is rightly understood and it's working as it should, there is no organization like it on planet Earth. In fact, you need to know that it's only the church that has God's stamp of approval on it. No other organization on the planet has God's stamp of approval. Only the church of Jesus Christ has God's stamp of approval In Matthew chapter 16, the apostle Peter makes his great confession. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, right you are, Pete. And then he said this to him. Listen to this, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. When Jesus Christ made that statement, what he was saying is that the church is his pet project. The church is invincible. Not even the gates of hell can stop the church of Jesus Christ. And what I'd like to do for the rest of this morning is give you three reasons, three reasons why the church is the greatest organization on planet Earth. But before I do that, you know, we talk about exactly what is the church, And the Apostle Paul gives us a great definition of what the church is in the New Testament book of Ephesians in chapter 2. If you have your owner's manual, you can turn with me to Ephesians in chapter 2, starting at verse 19. Here we're told this. So now, 
You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Holy Spirit. You know, that's an incredible statement that the Apostle Paul makes there. It is pregnant. Do you know where God resides now? Where the living God of the universe lives? Do you know where he lives now? Paul is saying in the church, in the church, you know, 2,000 years ago, God used to reside here. Skip can, or Skip, can you put that picture up? That is where God used to dwell 2,000 years ago. That was one of the seven wonders of the world. And on the day that Jesus Christ died, the sixth hour when he cried out, it is finished, suddenly we are told that there was a massive earthquake and the veil, Skip, can you put that picture up? The veil that separated the holy place from the holies of holies. That's 90 feet high, about three feet wide. It was rent in two. Do you know what God's message was that day? Do you understand what God was saying? He was saying in that moment, I am not there anymore. I am no longer in the building business. I am no longer in brick and mortar. And how I wish we would take that seriously and understand that. Jesus, you know, the Jews, though, didn't understand what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. So you know what God did? Forty years later, he sent the Roman army. And they surrounded Jerusalem. They breached the walls of Jerusalem. And they fulfilled what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus pointed to the seven wonders of the world. He pointed to the Herodian temple. And he said, I tell you the truth, not one stone shall stand upon another. And that happened exactly 40 years later when the Romans did this. They completely destroyed that temple and not one stone laid upon another. And you know what God's message again was to the Jews and to all of us. He was saying, I am no longer in buildings. So where does the living God now dwell? Us. So how do you like the temple? I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about you. No, no, we don't get it. It, It's a magnificent thought that God would live in you, that he would live in you and you and me, and together we make the magnificent temple of God. I mean, that is a mind-blowing thought when you think about it. So I want you to understand, when we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ, we're talking about true believers. We're talking about people who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're talking about people who are now pursuing Jesus, living for Jesus, and being obedient to Jesus. That is the church of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and, and we've got to grab hold of that is exactly what we're about. We're no longer about buildings. He got out of the building. The new building of God is you and me. We are the temple of God. So guess what? Wherever, think about this now, wherever I go, I bring church. See, everybody tells me, you know, Pastor, I'm going to be bringing someone new today to church, and you better do good. 
And, you know, no, 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 no. You're supposed to be going out there. See, you're supposed to be bringing church out there in the marketplace. So wherever I go, so when I stand on the street corners in the four corners, you know, I claim it. I got church going on Tuesday at 5 o'clock at the four corners. They don't know it, but I got church because I'm there. Wherever you are, you're to bring church. In your workplace, you're to bring church. In your home, you're to bring church. Church is wherever you and I go because that's where the temple of God is. Does everybody get that? Now I want to give you three reasons why we're so awesome. I want to give you three reasons why the church is so great. Reason number one was in the verses that we just looked at. Skip, can you put those up again? So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. You see, at the very heart of the church is Jesus Christ. And Paul says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is, Skip? Can you put up the picture? I didn't, you know, I'm not in, I don't know buildings. I, I don't know what a cornerstone is. But a cornerstone is that, I mean, it, it, it's the chief stone. Now get this. And it's a reference point for all the other stones. So in other words, if the tor- cornerstone's messed up, the whole building's going to be messed up. And it's going to fall down. It's going to kind of be like the Tower of Pisa. It won't work. Now, if you understand this, then you understand why Jesus said this about himself in John 14, 6. He said this. I am the way, not a way, the way. I can show you how you are to live. He goes, I am truth, not a truth, among truth, I am the truth. In other words, you know what that means? It means what is. Jesus is what is. He is reality. He determines reality. Then he not only said this, he goes, I am the life. I'm the only one that can give you real life. I'm the only one that can connect you to the Father. I'm the only one that can connect you to heaven. I am life itself. Jesus is saying, I'm the North Star. I'm middle C. You know why so many people's lives are messed up? So many people's lives are messed up because they either don't have a cornerstone or they have the wrong cornerstone. Only Jesus can align you with God, his purposes, his principles. Only Jesus gives you the ability to function as God had created you to function. Do you understand that? Only Jesus can give you the, only he can line your life up rightly so that you're in right alignment with God, his purposes, his plan, so that you can function the way you were supposed to function. That's true freedom. You see, so many people think that freedom, you know, we live in America, and we think that freedom means I can do whatever I want. No, that's not freedom. That's a mess. That's going to be a mess. Freedom is only the ability to function as your creator determined that you are to function. Now, Jesus tells us why so many people are not free. You know, it's tragic. We live in America, the land of the free, and so many people are not free. And Jesus tells us why in John 8, 34. He says this, listen, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Do you realize that's where most people live? Most people live in addiction. Most people live in strongholds. Most people live with idols. Most people live 
outside of the design of how God said they're to function. And that's so tragic. And they're in bondage. They are, most people just live in bondage. Now, two verses later, though, Jesus gives tremendous hope. Listen to what he says in John 8, 36. He says this, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus came to set every single person free. Now, do you understand the implications of that? Do you understand the implications of that? The implications are this. The church of Jesus Christ is the only organization on planet Earth that can set people free. Why do I say that? Because we're the only ones that represent Jesus. We are the representatives of Jesus. Wherever I walk, you see little Jesus. You're laughing. That should be true of you. Wherever we walk, it's little Jesus. And I carry, let me tell you something, I carry his message, I carry his power, and I carry his authority. That's what makes us so great. No organization on planet Earth can set people free on the inside here. Only the church of Jesus Christ can do that. Now let me give you a second reason why the church is the greatest organization on planet Earth. And the second reason is this. The church of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the only one who can give you purpose. No other organization on planet Earth can give you purpose. Do you realize that most people challenge you this week, go to your work. I've done this before. Go to your workplace and ask them what their purpose is. Most people have no idea what their purpose is. They are completely and totally clueless as to what their purpose is. You know, it was about a month ago, and uh, there was this mother. She was probably 30 years old, and she had her four- or five-year-old daughter with her. I mean, cute kid. And uh, we were at the uh, Altamont Fair doing the Jesus Soda Survey. And she comes up to our kind of our booth, and she says, you know, I'd like to take that survey. I'd like to take that quiz. What's it about? I said, well, what the quiz is about is just really one question. One question. We want to know what your opinion is. What does it take to get into heaven? She says, oh, wow, awesome. And there were like 16 things, you know, you can check off. Things like following the commandments, reading the Bible, going to church, uh, you know, giving to the pastor's lunch fund. No, that wasn't on there. But the right answer is not on there. The right answer is placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, being born anew, being born again. That's the right answer, and it's not on there. So I love this woman. She was, she was taking it seriously. She was checking all these boxes off, and after about two or three minutes of really looking this thing over, she, she hands it to me. She goes, well, how did I do? And I said, well, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is you get a free soda. The bad news is you're going to burn in hell. No, I didn't say that to her. I've, I, I've always wanted to say, but if I said that, you know, Denny kicked me off and I couldn't do it anymore. But I've always wanted to say that to somebody. But here's what I do do. I said, would you be interested in what the Bible has to say about heaven and eternity? And she goes, yes, I actually would. Now, you see, you know why I asked that question? Because, see, I want to talk to those people who the Holy Spirit's you know, working in. Too many of us cast our pearls before swine. You just do not hog tie someone down for Jesus if they're not interested. You're just asking to take a beating. 
You want to make sure that the Spirit of God's working in them. So, you know, I, I put some bait out there, and then I see if they're going to latch on to it. She does. She says, I want to know about eternity. So I explained to her the gospel. I gave her the good news of Jesus Christ. I told her that God does, in fact, love her, that God has a plan for her. But the first thing that's necessary is you have to do with this, deal with the sin issue. And we talked about that, what Jesus did on the cross. And after I got done explaining the good news, the gospel, then I asked her, I said, would you like to place your faith and trust in Jesus? She goes, no, no, not yet. But then I asked her this question. I said, so can you tell me this? What is your purpose in life? And man, it was like I hit her with a two by four. She goes, wow, I I don't know. She goes, I've actually said in the last two weeks, I've been thinking about that. I've been wondering about what my purpose is. And I wanted to say to her, wait, stop. Are you, are you serious? You're 30 years old. You don't have a clue as to what your purpose is. You've got a beautiful five-year-old girl, and you have no idea what your parent are into. I'm going to call the Child Protective Services. I didn't do that. But I thought it's amazing amazing that parents have kids and they're clueless as to what their purpose is. What are you going to be leading these kids into? You know, I was on the street corner Tuesday a couple weeks ago just before I left to see my mom holding up my sign and there were about 15 of us on that day. By the way, I joined you. It's an awesome time. So there was this guy on the bicycle and he was waiting for the red light. So, you know, you got 120 seconds sometimes to preach the gospel. This guy goes, I just love you guys. I just love you. And I I said, are you talking to me? He goes, yeah, I just love you. And I said, well, why do you love me? Why do you love us? He goes, because you're nuts. (laughs) He goes, you're out of your ever-loving gourd. You're crazy. And I said, well, why why are we crazy? He goes, because you actually believe that stuff. You actually believe this. You're nuts. And I said, can I ask you this? Now, remember, I got 120 seconds. Before the light changes, I said, can you answer one question for me? Can you tell me, probably about a 25-year-old kid, you know, arrogant and thinks he's got the world by the tail. I said, can you tell me what your purpose is? Well, I know, man. I don't have any idea what my purpose is. So I said, so you're pointless. <laughs> because I guess I never thought about it like that. I said, so I'm confused here. Who's the crazy one? Now, now I'm down to about 90 seconds, and the, the guy asked me, he goes, well, what is the purpose of life? And I had 90 seconds to share Christ with him. 90 seconds. But you know, it's tragic. Most people have no idea. They are completely clueless about, you know, what is their purpose in life. Question. What would you say to a person who said to you this. Now listen to this. What would you say to a person? This is a true story. What would you say to a person who says this to you? I am a mistake. I am an accident. My parents never planned or wanted me. No one loves me or cares for me. I am a failure. My life is worthless and meaningless. What would you say to that person? I can tell you what I'd say to them. I'd say, you know what? There's someone who loves you. Your creator loves you and has a plan for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And then I would share the gospel because I said you have tremendous purpose when you understand who your creator is and the plan 
that he has for you. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand life is so short on this planet? 70, maybe 80 years. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, your life is like a mist. It is just like a vapor. And then you're gone. You're completely gone. And then you've got eternity, the rope. 70, 80 years, and then eternity. And eternity goes on, and it 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 it just keeps going on and on and on. And I'm going to ask you, where will you be forever and ever and ever? Where will you be? Will you really be with God? in his presence, or will you be separated from him? You see, life fundamentally is about one thing. People just, it blows their mind out there when I tell, I said it's about one thing. You got a choice to make. Do you want to spend it with God or apart from God? And you know what determines where you're going to spend eternity? People think, well, I went to a Billy Graham crusade. I ran up there. I made a business transaction. I actually admitted that I'm a sinner, said the sinner's prayer, and I'm good to go, and I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. doesn't work like that. You know what it works like? Your actions determine what you believe, not what comes out of here. Your actions demonstrate what you believe. And I'm not knocking Billy. I used to work for him. But he'll even tell you that words themselves aren't what Jesus is talking about. Faith means that it follows an action. And the day you stand before Jesus, and I stand before Jesus... Our actions will speak for us. Did I love Jesus? Did I want to live for him? Did I want to know him? Did he drive my life? Or was it self that was driving my life? Was it self that was driving my life? Now, I know some of you are probably here this morning and you're saying, you know, I've, I've already made that choice. I've really made that decision. I want to follow Jesus, but I still don't know what my purpose is. Well, let me tell you what your purpose is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 to his disciples, he said to his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Then in Matthew chapter 6, he says, the whole, you want to know what you're supposed to do? He said, all you need to do, all I need to do is seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's his priorities. You know what God's priorities are? You know what Jesus' priorities are? People. People. Do you think... Jesus Christ really cares if you're in the NFL setting records? Do you think he cares if you're the president of a company? Do you think he cares if you're a doctor or a lawyer or you've got all of these titles and degrees or when you enter heaven, you plump down $50 billion? Do you think he's really impressed with that? I'm going to tell you no. You know what he's going to be interested in? People. What people did you impact? Did you impact positively your family members? Did you impact positively the people that you work around for Jesus Christ? That's all that he's... We're in the people business. And that's what matters. Are you? Are you? And you? And you? And me? Am I impacting people positively for Jesus and the kingdom of God? All right. Well, let's move to the challenge The challenge is this, and it's really the third thing that makes the church great. You know what makes maybe us the greatest of all organizations on planet Earth? Is that we're the only organization that can give real hope. 
You know, I've traveled a little bit. And it blows my mind when I go to India or I see other places, third world countries. And, you know, the average person just really has no hope that their circumstances will change. They, they live on $2 a day. They live on $3 a day. I mean, no, it blows my mind how people live. And there is no hope. There is no hope for them that their circumstances are actually going to change. And now, we can be a little more crass and we can say, well, we live in the West. I live in America, the land of the free, the land of opportunity. Well, you know what? Most people here, by the way, your circumstances can't appreciably change either. Now, I don't mean to be offensive here, but you know me. I, I tend to just speak and just let it come out. So, so don't be offended here. But now, the truth of the matter is, most of us have average looks. Most of us have average talent. And most of us have an average IQ, intelligence. You know what that translates into? It translates into an average home with an average car, with an average job, with an average family, having average vacations, and in the end, having an average death and funeral. That's life. That's really for the vast majority of Americans even. That's the best it's going to be average. Nothing's going to change that. You know, it was so sad. A month ago, I was at Stewart's. I was just standing in line, and there was an older gentleman in front of me, probably about 70 years old. And, uh, no, it really just blew me away. And he didn't have much money. And you know what he bought with his little money that he had? One lottery ticket. One lottery ticket. And he goes to the the checkout woman. He goes, you know, my hope is I just want to win the lottery. And and my whole hope is that that I get enough money that I can buy myself a boat that I can live on and I can spend the end of days fishing. That was his hope. That was it. I wanted to shake the guy and say, that's it? That's all you're hoping for? How about you? So I wanted to ask you right now, what is your hope? How would you answer him? You know what? I have hope. I want you to know this morning, I have hope. I have hope because my God causes everything in my life to work together for the good. I have hope because my God's grace is sufficient for any situation that I find myself in. I have hope because my God's power is so great, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I have hope because my God holds me in the palm of his hand. I have hope because my God right now is preparing a room in his massive mansion, and I have an incredible, incredible retirement plan to look forward to. I have hope because one day my God is going to wipe away all of my tears. He's going to take away all of my pain. There's going to be no more sickness and death. And guess what? I'm not going to be fat getting older and dumber anymore. I'm actually going to have a good, new, resurrected body. I have hope. I have hope because one day I am going to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and Nothing, nothing will ever take me out of the presence of life itself. I shall then be fully alive in a kingdom that shall have no end. 
I want you to know I have hope. That's the hope I have. And my prayer is you have that hope beating in your heart because then you have a lot to share. Father, pray this morning that you take your message, the message of the church, why you established the church, the greatest organization on planet earth. And Lord, we've been lied to that we don't matter, that we're nothing, that we should be held on some street corner and keep it in the four walls. And Lord, you say enough is enough. Now is the time. For such a moment now, we live and it's time for us to stand up and realize that we're the only hope of the world. We're the only one that can give them purpose. We're the only ones that can set them free. And I pray that you enliven us now. You enliven us with that message. And we quit living duped, defeated, pointless lives. May you speak to us powerfully now. As we sing this final song, I ask in your precious name, amen.